Well, I hope you guys had a solid Valentine's Day. Some of you are like, I wish we could just move past Valentine's Day. So I apologize, but I hope you did have a, a good Valentine's Day. And uh, do you guys know who St. Valentine was? St. Valentine uh, was a pastor just about 200 years after Jesus' ascension, uh, back when Christians were still being persecuted uh, under Rome. And Roman Emperor Claudius uh, was prohibiting young men from getting married because he had this belief that single men were better soldiers than married men because they had nothing to lose versus married men who, you know, they'd have to come back to a wife and kids and so they'd maybe be a little more cautious out on the battlefield. And, and so he said, no, no, no young man can, man can get married. Uh, he's got to go be a soldier. And so what Valentine did is he started officiating these, these weddings in, in secret because he said marriage is good. We read about it in the Bible. It's a good gift from God. It's good. It's of God. And then he was caught doing that. And in 269 AD, he was tortured. He was beaten with clubs. He was stoned. And then ultimately he was uh, decapitated because of his stand uh, for Christian marriage. So, Becky, roses are red, violets are blue. Valentine was beaten, stoned, and decapitated so I could buy chocolate for you. You're my girl. All right. Uh, It's been a good week of love. Hopefully you had a good, good week of love. Uh, and appropriately, uh, you know, I, I, we, we're not clever enough to design things this way, but appropriately where we find ourselves uh, in uh, the book of Genesis uh, is right in line with love and romance and sex and all of that crazy fun stuff. And so today we look at history's most infamous cougar, Potiphar's wife. Uh, Potiphar's wife was a married Egyptian woman uh, who tries to hook up with young guy whose name is Joseph. We've been looking at his life, and uh, he's a guy who works for her husband. Now, here's the reality. We're all susceptible to a Potiphar's wife in our life. So we got to ask, who's the Potiphar's wife in, in my life? Not every one of you have a cougar who's after you. Uh, Not every one of you has a a boss's wife who's trying to hook up with you or an older woman. But your seductress may be uh, photos on your phone. Your seductress may be pornography. Your seductress may be someone who is not your spouse. Maybe because you're not married yet and you're going places you shouldn't go. Or maybe because you are married and you're going places you shouldn't go. It could be a coworker, it could be a neighbor, it could be a church member, who knows? And for some reason, they have caught your eye. And what we've got to do is we have got to play what we're calling the long game. We've got to play the long game and realize that sexual purity in the short term has major payoff in the long term. And so we've been in this series of, of messages that we're calling the long game, and we're looking at the life of Joseph, the, the, the final 13 chapters of Genesis. And I, I think Genesis could arguably be maybe the most important book uh, in the entire Bible, and he gets the most uh, acreage in the book of any other character in the final 13 chapters of, of Genesis. Joseph was this guy who remained faithful to God amidst really difficult, challenging circumstances. And so today, if you have a Bible, we're going to pick up in Genesis chapter 39, verse 6. Uh, head on over there. We've also got it on our church app. If you've got a smartphone, uh, just type in Charles River Church on your app store, and you can find that. We've got the Bible on there for you. And then if you need a Bible of your own, uh, we've got some around the room. Just grab it and, uh, and bring it home. That would be 
awesome. And uh, if, if you're just jumping in with us, uh, you can pick up uh, any of the previous sermons online on iTunes or on the, the phone there on the app. Uh, but I, I want to kind of catch you up to speed if I can. Uh, God has made it clear that he's got a, a big plan for this young guy named Joseph. At 17 years old, Joseph gets a, a dream from God. God tells him, you are destined for greatness. His father affirms it. His father sees it in him. His father buys him the infamous coat of many colors uh, that puts a target on his back among his brother. His father was Jacob, who his name would be changed to Israel, and he's got 12 sons, hence the 12 tribes of Israel, the 12 tribes of Jacob. Now, his brothers devised this plan to, to kill Joseph. They hate Joseph. Now, favoritism is not okay. Favoritism is his father's sin. It's not his sin. He's just kind of a victim in, in a strange way. And so his, his brothers, rather than hating dad, hate their brother for the favoritism. And so they put this plan together and they uh, ultimately throw Joseph in a pit, find some Ishmaelites who are coming by. They sell uh, him to the Ishmaelites and those guys will eventually bring him down to Egypt where he will become a slave. And, and then the brothers go back to their father and, and basically set it up so that it looks like, without them actually having to lie, so that it looks like their, their brother was devoured by uh, wild animals, by putting goat's blood onto their brother's coat, showing it to their dad. Now, he gets down to Egypt. He gets sold into slavery to this high-ranking Egyptian official named Potiphar. He is captain of the guard. But yet we see, even in this horrific situation, that Joseph has the hand of God on his life. He's got God's favor on his life. And whatever he does, he does well. Whatever he does, he touches, he puts his hand to. It brings honor to God. And God gives Joseph favor with Potiphar. And Potiphar looks on him with great favor, Potiphar promotes him to the place that Joseph becomes the manager of all things Potiphar. He is Potiphar's right-hand man. He manages everything that he owns in his house. Now, today, it gets really interesting. So let's read, uh, beginning Genesis chapter 39, and we will pick up in verse 6. Genesis 39, verse 6. It says, So he, Potiphar, left all that he had in Joseph's charge, and because of him, he had no concern about anything but the food he ate. Now, Joseph was handsome in form and appearance. And after a time, his master's wife cast her eyes on Joseph and said, Lie with me. But he refused and said to his master's wife, Behold, because of me, my master has no concern about anything in the house, and he's put everything that he has in my charge. He is not greater in this house than I am. Nor has he kept back anything from me except yourself, because you are his wife. How then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? And as she spoke to Joseph, day after day, he would not listen to her, to lie beside her or be with her. Okay, let's break this down. We start by hearing that Joseph has been working really hard. Colossians 3.17 tells us that whatever you do in word, with your mouth, whatever you say, or in deed, whatever you do in word or in deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus. That means whatever your hand finds to do, whether you're a pastor or you're a plumber, you do the best of your ability so that it will bring honor to God. And Joseph says, that's what I'm going to do. And so rather than sulking in the midst of his, his terrible plot that he's found himself in, uh, he, he trusts God. He trusts that God has a, 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 a timing in mind and, and he's got me taken care of and, and my dreams that, that I've experienced that are from God are going to come true in his perfect timing. And so Joseph decides, I'm going to get to work. And he turns his 
workplace, as David Butler shared a couple weeks ago, into a kingdom place, and he gains favor, and he kind of raises the ranks, and uh, he becomes manager. Now, apparently, he was so trusted by Potiphar that Potiphar saw no problem leaving this young, good-looking dude home alone with his, his wife. He didn't have to supervise him too much, and he, he leaves him home alone with his wife, this strapping young man. And then verse 6 tells us that it says, Joseph was handsome in form and appearance. Ladies, look out. Right? This is the exact same phrase that is used 10 chapters earlier in Genesis chapter 27 about his mother. Basically what we're seeing here is that the boy has some good genes, right? Good genetics. Well, one day Potiphar's wife looks at him, this fine hunk of Hebrew kebab, and says, wow. And she looks at this guy and she straight up solicits him for sex. She gets all desperate housewives on him and she says, lie with me. Now, I don't know what pickup line you used for Valentine's Day, but she didn't use any pickup line. She just went straight for the jugular. She goes for it. She says, lie with me. Now, I, I've kind of always, uh, reading this story in, in the past, uh, kind of always pictured uh, just Joseph here just sweating. Oh gosh, okay. And you're splashing cold water on his face. I mean, face. Have you ever wondered like what you would do in a situation like this? Would you honor God or would you remain sexually pure? I mean, man, I imagine he's sweating. Is it hot in here? Or is it, the struggle is real, right? This is a real struggle. And, and maybe, again, maybe you've got a Potiphar's wife in, in your life. Maybe it's frequent internet temptation. Maybe it's a flirtatious person that is somehow in your life. Maybe it's a person that's not flirtatious, but when you see them for whatever reason, like Potiphar's wife with Joseph, they catch your eye and it's, it's a struggle. Or, or maybe this, this person, uh, you believe someday will be your spouse. You really, you really sincerely do, but it's just, it's hard to wait. It's really hard to wait. And, 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 and now, after saying all of that, most people historically assume that this woman is attractive, but maybe, who knows? We don't get that. Maybe it was easy for Joseph to say no. Maybe she looked like Jabba the Hutt. I mean, I don't, we don't know, right? Either way, whether she's attractive or not, Joseph refuses her solicitation. Two reasons why. One, because it's against the laws of God, and two, because it would be a betrayal of his master, his boss, who has entrusted him with so much. However, hell hath no fury like a woman scorned, so check out her response. Uh, we'll pick up again in verse 11. Verse 11. But one day, here's the day, here's the moment, when he went into the house to do his work, and none of the men of the house was there in the house. She caught him by his garment saying, lie with me. But he left his garment in her hand and fled and got out of the house. And as soon as she saw that he had left his garment in her hand and fled out of the house, she called to the men of her household and said to them, see, he is brought among us, he, her husband, has brought among us a Hebrew to laugh at us. He came in to lie with me. And I cried out with a loud voice. And as soon as he heard that I lifted up my voice and cried out, he left his garment beside me and fled and got out of the house. And then she laid up his garment by her until her master came home. And she told him the same story, saying, The Hebrew servant that you have brought among us came in to laugh at me. But as soon as I lifted up my voice and cried, he left his garment beside me and fled out of the house. And as soon as his master heard the words that his wife spoke to him, this is the way your servant treated me. 
His anger was kindled, and Joseph's master took him and put him in the prison, the place where the king's prisoners were confined, and was there in prison. But the Lord was with Joseph and showed him steadfast love and gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. And the keeper of the prison put Joseph in charge of all the prisoners who were in the prison. Whatever was done there, the one who did it, or he was the one who did it. The keeper of the prison paid no attention to anything that was in Joseph's charge because the Lord was with him. And whatever he did, the Lord made it to succeed. Here he goes again. And here he is faithful again. And God is with him again. And he rises the ranks even in prison. Now, let's break this down. Joseph remains faithful to God despite intense pressure. He doesn't sleep with this woman after day after day, her trying. And so she's struggling here. What am I going to do? She decides, I'm going to frame him. And one day, everybody's out of the house except for Joe and this woman. And she grabs him by the collar, by the the shirt. And she tries one more time. Lie with me. And Joseph runs out of the house. I love this moment. And she clings to his shirt and basically rips his shirt off of his back, leaving Eva Longoria right here in the house all alone with Joseph's shirt. She is scorned and she says this is an opportunity for revenge. And so what she does is she screams, she shrieks, and the men come running in who are outside of the house. She says, he tried to rape me. He tried to to lie with me. He's trying to laugh at me. And then when Potiphar returns, same story. Of course, furious, he throws Joseph into prison where he will remain a minimum, a minimum of two years in prison for being frank. Wow, now this is intense. But again, verse 21, the Lord is with Joseph. It's a struggle. It's a long wait. But we see at the very end of this crazy little story here that God has not forsaken Joseph. He is still, even still, with him. One horrific thing after the other, after the other, after the other. Have you seen on Netflix a series of unfortunate events? I mean, it's just one bad thing after the other. And yet he is convinced because he knows God has a plan for my life and I'm going to play the long game. God has a long game in mind and there will be a victory. It will be realized in due time. And these little setbacks that seem huge in the moment are actually setups for success. It will come. And we have the privilege of knowing the end of the story because we can read all the way to the end of Genesis and we can know that God never left him. God never forsakes him. And, and that's there. The story is there for us so that we can know that when we have setups that seem, setbacks that seem really huge in our lives, whether it's divorce or, or, or abuse or, or horrific things that happen to us or, or just challenges, job loss, whatever it may be, we can know that God is not through with us, that God has not left us. He, he's he's going to show himself faithful, cling to him, trust him. It'll be worth it. Now, for the remainder of our time together, here's what I want to do. There's this intense moment here, right? And I want to break down this intense moment. It's actually a series of moments when Potiphar's wife comes chasing after Joseph, soliciting him. And again, it happened again and again. 
And I think there are some observations that we can make about this moment because you will face these moments. When you become a Christian and you start following Jesus, you don't start floating around with this like uh, bubble around you that you're now immune to temptation and to struggle and to sin. You still continue to sin. God has forgiven all of the sin in the past and all of the sin in the future, but you will face it. And if you want to be a Christian who does everything in your power to honor God, even in the midst of the, the really difficult, moments and the struggles then 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 this stuff is for you this stuff is really for you you're gonna face these moments some of you have already faced these moments you know what i'm talking about the moments where you are sweating the moments where you got a screen in front of you or, or there's a woman or there's a man and you find yourself sweating and you can choose one a moment of pleasure which can lead to a lifetime of pain or you can play the long game and have a moment of discomfort as you resist, which will lead to a lifetime of blessing. So, let me give you a few principles uh, to remember uh, when you meet the Potiphar's wife in your life. And uh, if you're a note taker, um, every one of these points is going to start with sexual sin. Sexual sin. Sexual sin. Now look at me. This might feel strong for me to call it sexual sin. But we have got to start off by calling sexual sin, sexual sin. Any sex or sexual gratification outside of marriage is sin, period. This is how God has set things up. A passage we go back to over and over and over again as a church, and we'll, we'll do it till the, till the day Jesus comes back for us, is in Genesis chapter 2, 24 and 25. Here's what it says. God's design. It says, therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife. And the two shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and not ashamed. This is how God has set it up. You leave, that means men got to grow up, stop being a mama's boy, start paying some bills, start being responsible. You leave. And then you show that you're able to care for a family And then you hold fast. Then you become married. And then one flesh. And then naked and no shame. Do you get it? You with me? That's the order. You leave. Yes, some translations say you cleave or you hold fast. You get married. You make this thing official in the eyes of God, in the eyes of the law, both. Because the Bible tells us to honor God both and then after doing that then to become one flesh physically and are naked and there is no shame that's total oneness total unity now why after the commitment of marriage does God say okay now is the time to do this because sex is deeper than skin contrary to what the culture tells us I'm sure you have experienced that sex is way deeper than skin it is beautiful it is powerful it is the joining together of two people our culture wants to cheapen it and the world will look down on christians as if we're doing something bad with with our understanding from the scriptures of marriage that it is valuable and it is for one man and for one woman for life our culture looks down on us but what definition is cheaper What definition is is cheaper? 
that it's just simply like eating, it's just satisfying your desires and just moving on, a primal instinct that I can't control, or that this is a, a beautiful, amazing gift from God. It is so much more than skin on skin. This is a soul level thing, and, and, and the only thing that's powerful enough to protect it is marriage. Now those of us in here who might say, well, well, Josh, you know, this is just one verse and you have taught us not to create a whole theology out of one verse or a, a coffee mug verse or a bumper sticker verse. Well, that, that's true. That is very true. But this verse is not just one verse. This is the verse that throughout the Bible they keep coming back to. Jesus repeats this verse. The Apostle Paul in building the theology repeats this verse. Moses, Jesus, Paul, they keep coming back showing this is God's design. This is how God has set things up. This is how he set it up. And so every single one of these points that I'm about to give you starts with sexual sin because any sex, any sexual gratification outside of marriage is, is out of God's plan. It is sin. We've got to call it sin. We've got to stop. In our church, when we talk about this stuff in, in, in our connection groups or when you're uh, talking with, with other friends and, and trying to care for them, listen, don't, don't soften the blow to be sensitive. Call it what it is so that they can, this is for their good. It's not, we slipped up. No, you sinned. It's not, it's a struggle. No, you sinned. It's not, we had this moment of passion. No, you had this sin, right? That's how we speak. That's how we, that's how we speak. It, it was sin. And if you're married and, and you didn't do it God's way, but you're married now, just with your spouse, go back and can we just acknowledge that was sin? Not that what we, we have now is, is not good and God's not going to bless it, but let's just acknowledge that that moment was sin. You're not disregarding your marriage now. You just need to establish this so that you can be right with God and so that you can determine what are we going to teach our, our children and other church family members around us. Let's, let's be clear on this. It's not a slip up. It's, it's sin. So I'll say this. Stats will tell us that the vast majority of people, probably even in this room, have sinned in this area. We're looking at chapter 39, but do not forget what Kevin brought us to last week in chapter 38. So good. That was so good. So good. We get 39, we get Joseph. 38, we get Judah. And Judah was, he, he messed up bad. I mean, really bad. He sinned very bad in the area of sin, uh, of sex. And, and God shows us this this extreme, so that those of us who are not all the way to the outer edges of the extreme of his sin of prostitution and then trying to have a prostitute who is actually his daughter-in-law get killed, murdered, right? He shows us this extreme so he can say that everybody within that circle, I got grace for you too. So wherever you're at, whether you're in Judah's position or Joseph's position, just, just look to Jesus Trust in Jesus' grace. Trust in Jesus' power that he gives you for victory over sin. You got it? You with me? Okay, that was a long setup. Here's the first point. First principle, if you're taking notes, this would be a good time to start. First off, sexual sin is not committed in isolation. It's not committed in isolation. If you look at verses 8 and 9 again, sexual sin can be among the most private of sins done in a, a bedroom, in a hotel room, on a screen, or even in your mind. However, what Joseph realizes, we see in verses 8 and 9, 
is that if I were to sin in this way with this woman, it would not just be my sin and her sin. It would be a sin against Potiphar, my master, who has entrusted me with so much, and it would be a sin against my God. That's why he says, how then could I do this great wickedness and sin against my God? We need to realize that our our private sins are not personal sins. Just because it's done in private doesn't mean it's, it's personal. All of our sins have bearing on, on other people. Most importantly, God sees everything you do. So just think on that for just a second. God sees everything that you do. But Joseph also not only would have sinned against God and, and Potiphar, he, he would have, with one moment of pleasure, he could have brought a lifetime of pain to another family, and, and even another family, not just Potiphar's family, but let me introduce you to three people that we see later on in the story. We'll get there. Three people, Asenath, Manasseh, and Ephraim. His future wife, who he's not even met yet, Manasseh and Ephraim, his two sons. I imagine his future wife and his two sons are very grateful that dad stayed true. I've told some of you guys this before, but I will never forget as a young pastor, it's forever burned in my mind that the very first situation that I had to counsel somebody through of of infidelity was horrific. We were sitting in my office and mother and daughter in a room with me, teenage daughter, 16 years old, and they are sobbing because they just found out that dad had been unfaithful and was leaving the family for another woman. Maybe some of you have have been that child. Reflect on that pain for just a moment. I've got to think beyond the four walls of the room that I find myself in. I've got to think beyond this moment of potential pleasure. I've got to think about Becky and Isaiah and Luca and and Nora. If married, you've got to think about your future husband, your future or your current husband, your your current wife, your, your, your kids or future kids. If you're not yet married, like Joseph, you've got to think about a future husband, future wife, future kids and care for them and protect them. I can only imagine how grateful Asenath and Manasseh and Ephraim were that their dad stayed true. It's interesting, if you look back through the family lineage as well, dad stayed true. But man, he stayed true unlike great-great-grandpa Abraham. He stayed true unlike grandpa Jacob. He stayed true unlike Uncle Judah. Joseph was one of the only men in that family lineage who stayed true, dating all the way back to Abraham. Joseph broke generational patterns of sin in this moment because God was with him. And greater is he who is in me than he who is in the world. Sexual sin is not done in isolation. you got to know that. Here's our next principle. Sexual sin can be relentless. Can be relentless. Again, look at verse 10. How frequently did she solicit him? Day after day. Yowzers. Like, that's crazy right there. Many of you personally know the frequency with which sexual temptation can come at you. I've heard people... uh, even, even as of recent, say things like, you know what, in today's day and age, you just can't resist. You just, it's just how it is. It's impossible to stay pure. To which Joseph would say, bro, come on. 
I had a woman every single day face to face saying, lie with me. And I couldn't just go find another job because I was her slave, right? So it was tough. Fortunately for you, you got options. You, if it's in your workplace, you could go and begin to find another job. You could put the proper protections in place. You, if it's your phone in bed at night, you could put it on the other side of the room. You, don't, you, you could buy for $9.95 a, 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 an old-fashioned alarm clock. Right? You, could, you could make a point not to see that woman or not to see that man. You could put a filter on your computer. Covenant Eyes, look it up if you need that. It's so good. You, you, could, you could tell someone close to you, I'm struggling in this area. I need some accountability. It's everywhere. It's relentless coming after you. Be prepared. Don't be surprised. Get some help. Oh, and one more observation. Look at verse 10. He would not listen to her to lie beside her or to be with her. Not only did he try to get, she tried to get him to, 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 to lie with her, to, to be with her. Then she realized, you know, I guess if, if he won't just straight up lie with me, well, Joseph, would you at least lie, did you catch this, beside me? Just at least come close. At least let's, let's snuggle up a little bit. Okay, Joseph, that, come on. If you look at the, the, the Hebrew language there, it's, it's interesting. There's lie beside me, there's lie, or, or in Hebrew, lie near me, and then there's the lie with me. Two different things that he refused to do. Now, would that have been a good idea? You know, I won't cross that line, but I, we'll get close enough, you know, just to appease you, I guess. You know, no, Proverbs 6.27 says, Can a man play with fire and not get burned? Some of you fellas, that woman is fire. You know what I'm talking about? She's fire. And if you're a single person and you think we're just gonna, we're gonna stay pure and we're gonna watch that movie in the dark in my apartment all alone and snuggle up on the couch, you're playing with fire. Or we're just gonna make out in the dorm for we're not gonna cross the line. Playing with fire. Married people. You got somebody's desk at work that you're, you find yourself just lingering beside their desk, hanging out a little longer. Playing with fire. I'm going to be a listening ear for the opposite gender for their marital struggles. I'm just trying to be a good friend. You're playing with fire. It's not like in the movies, right? Where people, you know, go on a business trip and they see somebody at the bar and then they just, next thing you know, they jump into bed together. That's not how it works. It usually starts with an emotional affair at the office place before a a physical affair. And temptation can be relentless. Be careful. Be careful. And just in case you're confused on where the line is, I think that's, a, that's always a question for people, which if you're asking the questions, probably says something. Ephesians chapter 5, 3 says this. It says, among you Christians, there must not even be a hint of sexual immorality. So where's the line? A hint. Just a hint of sexual immorality. Now, moving forward, third point. Sexual sin is not the same as sexual temptation. Whew, it's good to know, right? Sexual sin is not the same as sexual temptation. There is a difference. Verse 11, he had been tempted day after day by this woman, but verse 11 says, but then one day. There's a change in how the temptation looks, right? Then one day he goes in the house to do his work. None of the men in the house were in the house and she caught him by his garment. So at this point, the temptation 
takes a different form. She caught him alone. She got so close that she grabbed his, his collar. She grabbed his, his garment. But has Joseph sinned yet? Yes or no? No, Joseph has not sinned yet. But here's what can so often happen. Sexual temptation comes somebody's way and you can be so discouraged by the, the heaviness of the temptation. And well, this is new. This, this is not something I've experienced before that we can think that we've sinned and then we can just say, well, you know what? I just gave up. I just sinned. And that is one of the most successful tricks of the enemy, Satan. He's been doing this from the beginning of time tricking people deceiving people and he knows how to get you to fall and he knows that if you can think that you've sinned when it was just a temptation to sin and you've never actually sinned if you can just think that you then you'll just throw your hands up you'll just say you know what i i, I did it because he knows that once one domino falls the other dominoes start to fall a whole lot faster and a whole lot easier listen it is everywhere it's not a matter of if you will be tempted it's a matter of when you will be tempted. And the Bible tells us that every step along the way, God gives us a way of escape. You will have, listen, you will have, it will be almost impossible for you to, to dodge the temptation to sin sexually. But don't let that discourage you and cause you to throw your hands up and say, well, I guess minus well I cross the line, I'll go all the way. Or I've got no, just get away from it. God always provides a way of escape. It's not too late. And even if the first domino has fallen and you have crossed the line, still take the way of escape and turn around now and don't just go headlong into it. Confess, deal with it, and move forward. Next observation. Sexual sin is dangerously hard to resist. You use those words very, very carefully. Dangerously hard to exist. If you look down again at verse 12, I think this kind of goes without saying. It's hard to resist. There's something about sexual sin that I think is maybe because it's body, it's mind, and it's soul. It's emotional, wrapped up with the physical, and with those forces combined, it sounds like I'm talking about a superhero, with those forces combined, it becomes incredibly challenging. The difference between Joseph and the man, he was, he was pure, the difference between Joseph and, and great-great-grandpa Abraham and grandpa Israel and uncle or brother Judah, the, the difference between him and those men and countless other men we read about in the Scripture and throughout all of history, men and women, the difference is his feet. The difference for Joseph is his feet. Look at verse 12. What did he do the second she grabbed him by the collar? Forrest Gump. I started running, right? He took off. Verse 12. He fled and got out of the house. He took off. I've told you guys, the Bible talks about running. It's biblical. Don't, don't judge me anymore. James chapter 4, verse 7. The little brother of Jesus, what does he say? He says, resist the devil and he will flee from you. If you resist Satan, it means you just continue to fight. He will flee from you. You stand firm. You got the Spirit of God within you. And greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. If you stand firm... He will flee from you. But there is one temptation in the Bible that we are not called to resist. We are not called to stand firm. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, 18 says, but flee sexual immorality. Do you hear that? Stand firm when Satan comes at you, 
But when Satan comes at you with regard to sexual immorality, you take off. You get running. You flee. And that's literally, I love this, literally what Joseph does. He takes off. This is, Paul is just saying in 1 Corinthians 6, this is a fight that you don't want to be in. The odds are against you. Get yourself out of that situation. It's not going to end pretty, most likely. I just, I just get this picture of Joseph running out of the house. I love this picture of Joseph just taking off. And, and why don't you let your mind go there for just a moment? She grabs him and he's gone. Now here's the deal. He could have stayed right there, but he ran. But listen, I want you to know that he didn't just run from something. He ran to something even better. He ran to Genesis 2, God's design. He ran to God's plan. He ran to what God has set up for him, this good gift of biblical marriage and oneness that is refreshing to the deepest parts of your soul. He ran to something beautiful. Additionally, had he given into this sin here, he would have been not running to, he ran to the vice presidency of Egypt. He ran to saving his family from famine. He ran to his future wife, Asenath. He ran to his future sons, Manasseh and Ephraim. So often in this area of sexual purity, people focus, Christians focus on the don't. Don't, 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 don't. And that just doesn't work. What we have to do, parents, for our children, is present to them the do, the good. This is something beautiful that God has created. It's not about the don't. It's about God has given you something even better. Run hard after that. Pursue that. It is a good gift. It's a good gift. I uh, included, I'll give you a little inside look into uh, my Valentine card to my wife. Uh, I, one of the things I, I did is I, I wrote in there, um, Scripture says, he who finds a wife finds a good thing. And man, I'm telling you, I found a good thing. Good thing, such a gift. He ran to a good thing. Ran to something far better. But in the moment, it was, I imagine it was hard. Last observation. Sexual sin often appears to be rewarded while purity appears to be punished. You ever felt that way? Man, I'm trying to be pure. I'm trying to honor God. And it feels like I'm getting punished. And they're out there living large and having a great time. And man, I, what, what happens here? Joseph was faithful to God, and what does he get for it? Thrown in prison. That doesn't seem right, God. And again, he was in prison. We read the story a little further. We're going to see he was in prison for at least two years. And so often when you're pure in the area of sexuality, it can seem like everyone else is having a good time, and you're deprived, you're oppressed, you're struggling, you're the one sweating. And I'm going to tell you right now, my wife and I had it bad for each other. I mean, I, that girl is beautiful, right? But we, I, we saved ourselves for each other, and I honestly cannot imagine a happier marriage, a happier family, a more blessed life than what we are enjoying right now. I, honest, I honestly can't. And don't forget what comes for Joseph, what he's running to. He's running to successes. He's running to leadership. He's running to a wife. He's running to kids. He's running to heritage. He's running to a beautiful thing. And it might not exactly look like that for you. The Bible doesn't promise that you're going to get these amazing blessings on this side of, of eternity necessarily. But what you have for all eternity, for all eternity, is so much better than 
anything you think you give up on this planet. And so be faithful to God. Be faithful to God. Two years in prison? That seems torturous. And some of you, you need to think about your, your, your struggle with, with purity right now. Your, 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 the, the fight that you're in right now. You need to think about, like, oh, it just feels like the weight is so hard. It's so tough. Two whole years or one more year till we can get married, whatever that is for you. I'm telling you, what God has for you is so much better. And God honors your, your faithfulness. He honors your faithfulness. Find somebody who can honor you and who can wait for you and will cherish you. That's what we need. That's what we need. And God honors your faithfulness. He honors your faithfulness. He does for Joseph. I love that we get 39 of Genesis. But don't forget, because again, I know stats will say the vast majority of us in this room have not been faithful to God's design, to God's plan, and that's why we get Genesis chapter 38. A story of Judah messing up big time and God giving him all kinds of grace. All kinds of grace. And God's got all kinds of grace for you. And you can say, from this day forward, from this day forward, I want to live in accordance with God's plan. You may have to go home and make some changes, make some phone calls, have some discussions, get some accountability, use an internet filter, break up, whatever it is that you need to do. But you can say from this day forward, I'm going to live out God's best for my life. Because yeah, I might be running from something, but I am running to something so much better. I'll close with this. Down to verse 21. Joseph is in prison. It's unfair. It's difficult. Verse 21. But the Lord was with Joseph, and he shows him steadfast love. For every one of you, whether you're a Genesis 38 person or a Genesis 39 person, for every single one of you, God has nothing but steadfast love for you. He loves you. He loves Joseph. He loved and pursued Judah. In fact, he had so much grace for Judah who sinned so horrifically what happened? From his lineage comes Jesus Christ himself from the line of Judah. So whether you practice purity or you've, you've committed sexual sin, wherever you're at, in Jesus you can have purity. In Jesus you have steadfast love. He was faithful even when you were not faithful. He's faithful when you're faithless. And so if, if you're here and you would say, and every single one of us, the Bible says, are sinners, Every single one of us are far from God. But Jesus, God, showed his love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He didn't say, clean it up and then I'll die for you. He says, right in the midst of your sin, while you are sinners, Christ died for us. Can I invite you to close your eyes for just a moment? Band's gonna come up here and prepare for our, our final song, but I just wanna give you the chance to think on how this applies to you, and to respond. Listen, we don't want to just, just get all practical and give you points for purity. Those things are so helpful. Ultimately, we want to point you to the ultimate answer, and that is the hope that comes with Jesus. Jesus, who comes from the line, lineage of Judah, who was a wicked sinner. Because Judah, though he sinned, Jesus still loved them. 
and has steadfast love for him and pursues him. So I just want to encourage you. If you've never given your life to Jesus, I'd say today's the day. The Bible says whoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. If you turn from your sin and turn and say, Jesus, I just give it to you and I just receive your forgiveness of sin and the life abundantly that I find in following you, then you'll be saved. And so if that's you, you've never given your life to Jesus today and you're, you're coming face to face with sin, I'd encourage you to call on the name of Jesus and become a Christian. Then would you let us know? Others of you in here, you're a Christian. Man, the struggle is real. You're not immune. And I would encourage you, put these things into practice and lean on the grace of Jesus that's available to you as well. God, we love you. We thank you that you give us a story following another story. And we get both examples that your love covers a multitude of sins. And so God, I pray that our people in this room this morning would be deeply encouraged as they hear your word and would be deeply committed with the power of the Spirit within them to run, to, to, to not let there be a hint of sexual immorality among them. Would you protect the marriages in this room? Would you protect the future marriages in this room? Would you protect the children in this room from losing dad or losing mom or having their their family busted up because of a moment of pleasure that causes lifetimes of pain? Please, Father. God, may we be different. May our marriages and may our homes be distinct in a world that just wraps it around some kind of image of romance that we find in movies. May it be so much deeper. It's that committed love of Jesus that was displayed for us and that while we were sinners, he died for us. God, make us distinct. Protect us. And be honored. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.